Welcome to the DevOps Mastery Podcast. We're here to get you from where you are today to being a DevOps master by helping you cut the learning curve down into manageable pieces. So without any further delay, let's get going. Now, where did I put that machete? Hey, Jason, guess what time it is? It is time for a podcast. Another DevOps Mastery podcast, to be exact. And that's what you are, is exact. Thanks, I think. Anyways, <laughs> this week's podcast is all about monitoring tools. All right. It's how we prove that. we're cool. In a big brother kind of way. Sure. Yeah. All right. There's a little NSA feel to it. I get it. Ooh. You know, but that's kind of what you need to do if you want to be efficient. But before we get there, let's uh, remind everybody to send us your feedback. So you can send us feedback uh, on the Twitters at DevOps Master, on email at FedEx, or I'm sorry, at feedback at DevOpsMaster.com. And uh, of course, you can go on Google Plus and find DevOps Mastery there and yep. send us feedback there. And there's also like a contact us site, which people have been using too. That's so cool. We have gotten some feedback, which I'm going to point out here. Um, I want to thank Mr. Nathan Harvey and Matt Stanton, who have two awesome podcasts. One is Food Fight, and the other one is Arrested DevOps. And if you're not listening to those two, in addition to ours, you should be. Uh, They have great discussions about uh, Chef and how to do DevOps from their perspective, from a more advanced perspective, really. So if you're thinking this is too basic, you should try their podcast out. And uh, we also got one from just a new person to DevOps. So his Twitter handle is at Basic PowerShell, and his name is Brian, and I'm not going to pronounce his last name. But anyways, his tweet to us was, binged on DevOps Master Podcasts over the weekend. Great intro to DevOps. Grass needed to be cut three times anyways. I love my grass. I love cutting the grass, but I'm not going to cut it three times, no matter oh, how good the podcast is. And grass. I listened to a lot of Food Fight podcasts over the last couple of weeks, but I found other things to do besides cut the lawn. But anyways, no, it was funny that he did it. And uh, Brian, if you're listening, hey, from one Brian to another, thanks for listening. Uh, that's the kind of feedback we're looking for, but we don't just want positive feedback, too. If you have something, some criticism, like, um, I don't know, Mr. Stanton did... Then uh, please pass that along too. Matt was giving me a hard time because I forgot to mention testing tools, which we will be covering in another podcast. And he was absolutely right about that. And then he and Nathan both were giving me a hard time about relating DevOps to uh, to systems scripting from the 1990s, you know, system automation stuff. Because mm-hmm. DevOps is more than just system automation. Yes. So, you know. All feedback's good feedback. They're right. It is a little bit more than that. Actually, it's a lot more than that. It's a lot about communication. It's a lot about working with teams. It's being inclusive, not exclusive in everything that you do. So that's enough feedback. We have more feedback. We'll, we'll give that but up. I like it in the joke format, though. That was funny. I like to laugh at myself anyway. So I like to laugh at you, too. Well, there you go. Works wonders. It does. It really, really does. So let's get back to the topic of the day, and that's monitoring tools. So monitoring tools are critical to any good run, good, well-run production environment. The tools are there for not just the operation staff, you know, up, down, are we running on a disk, are we running on memory? They're also there for the developers. And when the um, 
when the monitoring tools are best deployed is when both the developer's side of the house and the operation side of the house have a shared responsibility towards it and feel a need for more of it. Um, some tools and just in general, you know, you need to do some logging on the development side when you're writing your scripts and you need to write log entries that make sense and that are parsable and that are unique so that people know where the stuff came from. And on the app side, you've got to write or find tools that will uh, process all that information as well as all the other basic stuff. Make sense? Yep. And so there are three basic types of these tools. And I'm going to basically go through a list of, of different questions, just like I did in the last one, to help you narrow down the field. It's not going to answer your question, but it's something I want you – it's things I think you should think about while you're picking a tool and things to be aware of when you choose tools. The first is they come in one of three flavors normally, agent, agentless, or hybrid. Hmm, sounds familiar, just like, uh, just like the configuration management tools. And that's because – it's the same thought processes generally going into these tools. Same groups of people writing them. Um, just one group geeks out on configuration management. The other group geeks out on data and, and proving that their stuff was. So the, <clears throat> the best in this class of tools will have uh, a well-documented path that the various con to using various configuration management tools. So the best of all of the monitoring tools will have chef recipes or puppet recipes. If they're windows based, they'll have something for SCCM or chocolate, uh, whatever people might use to deploy stuff on their operating system to decide whether you want an agent based, an agent less or, um, a hybrid. You need to think about a few things first, just like with, management tools. The only problem with an agent-based tool is you also have to watch the agent and make sure that it's running. That's important. They also tend to be more efficient and only send the information that they need to send. Agent-less tools um, generally rely on some sort of remote execution tool like SSH, remote PowerShell. And then often those agent-less tools rely on another thing called the Simple Network Monitoring Protocol or SNMP. Now, SNMP, before we go any further, has a lot of security ramifications because SNMP can display all of your configuration items as well as all the stats about the machine. So if deployed without taking the proper care, SNMP can be a massive leak of information and make it really easy for a hacker to hack into your machine. So you have to make sure you're very careful if you're going to deploy an SNMP-based system. I'm not saying don't do it, just be really careful. Um, because the server and an agentless system has to do all the work pulling. They tend to have tend to be more complex to scale. So as you scale out the number of servers that you have, agentless systems tend to become larger too. Not necessarily proportional, but they can be. They can be relative. You know, like if you need one monitoring server for a hundred servers, and as soon as you hit two hundred, you need another one. You know, that starts to add up, and you start adding to your infrastructure. Uh, the ones that doesn't mean the ones without agents, I mean, with agents don't have that problem. They can also be somewhat difficult to scale, but the problems are generally um, more related to more easily solved because you can set different servers in the front of the main server doing all the processing. So those servers in the front aren't really as big or they don't need to be as powerful and they're just gathering information from the other servers and then they're passing it back. 
But as always, my favorite choice is if there is an option to use one that's a hybrid of, of the two, of agent and agentless. Um, that gives you the way to grow. It lets you generally, in most contexts, build up from a small area up to something larger. Or small environment, I'm sorry, up to larger. But if you're a small company, you may not want the complexity. Also depends on where your servers are. Because with any of these, you have to make sure that you got firewalls tuned correctly, you got ports open, because they're going to need to connect one way or the other, agent or agent or hybrid. In which we to connect both. So if you're a small company and you got your servers, you, you're renting them out in, I don't know, let's say uh, three different states, Yeah. which way would you go? I would probably go with an agent-based system. Then you only have one server exposed to the nastiness that is the internet because the other ones are pushing to that server. Mm -hmm. And then you can do a little more monitoring of that server to make sure that it doesn't break. Does it matter which server? Like, would you take the closer one, for example, or the one on on hand? I would. Well, generally, it's not a good idea to put your monitoring on the servers you're monitoring. Like your monitoring tool should be on a separate server, not on one mm-hmm. of the production servers. Okay. So if I'm assuming that the three servers you were talking about, like if they were in three different states, are your three production servers. Yes. Right? So I would have a fourth server that would monitor those three. Dedicated for that. Dedicated just for that. Well, for that and other things. It would probably be my host for my configuration because you're not that big. You only have three. So it might also be the host for my chef environment or my puppet environment also. Just a general administrative server. Would you keep that like... In the office, or would you also put that in a different state, or does it not matter? That's a personal preference. It depends on how accessible and how easy it is for you to get to your office. If your office has a static IP address, if you have a corporate account, right? then, yeah, it makes sense to store it in your office. I mean, there's no reason not to. You're not going to lose critical data. You'll lose monitoring data, but you're not going to lose anything too critical if it loses connection for a little while. If you don't have a very robust or continuous connection to the internet for whatever reason, provider or yours or lack of power mm-hmm. redundancy, you may want to think about putting it in the cloud, but you don't have to. And it can certainly be cheaper to store it locally, but... Did I ever tell you my version of the cloud? Remember the old Harlem Globetrotter cartoon? Yeah. It's from like the 70s. And nope, you know, almost nobody on this podcast listening to this podcast. I know, but I'm old. But, and uh, anyway, the guy that used to hide everything in his hair... Mm-hmm. Every time I think of the cloud, I think of his hair, and he's pulling something out of he it. He just kept pulling stuff Right. You know, I need, I need a plane. Boom. Yeah. There you go. Yep. Sorry. Okay. Anyways, <laughs> after that tangent, <laughs> the next question that you want to ask is, how does the reporting work? So we're, we're talking about, you know, can I do custom reporting? Is there an existing set of reports that already come with it? How much, how much work is it to add custom reports? Because you're going to always end up adding some custom report to make sure that you don't run into some, if you're doing things right, you're going to have to add some custom reports or at least some custom dashboards. So how hard is it? Do you have to use what's called a DSL or a domain specific language? If you do, is that based on a programming language like Ruby or Python or Perl, or is it just some custom thing that they came up with? Um, that can be a big deterrent for getting other people to help you write the reports if they have to learn a whole new programming language just to write the reports, they're going to be less likely to do it. So it's something to keep in mind. Make sure that um, you can tell where and what's going on. You can do all the reporting that you need to. Do you need to do alerting? If you do, that's in the next section. We'll talk about that. Uh, <laughs> so too bad. So too bad. Just, you know, psych. Anyways, uh, if you can, you can tell where... Um, 
people you can get monitoring tools that'll tell you just about anything about the applications. You can go to tools and if you don't want to do the tools yourself, there's companies like New Relic. New Relic has some great products that will let you see how the application is working. Where is it failing? And help you zero into your code on where where your developers need help or need to look, which is a tremendous help to them. That's what I was trying to say. Um, all of that is part of that reporting piece. Like, what can you report on? How can you report? What do you want to report on? It also may mean that you decide that you like one tool for monitoring disk memory CPU, and you like a second tool for monitoring how your application is actually functioning. And that'll depend a lot on what operating system you're on, what development language you're using, and what tools you look at, because some tools can do more than others. And there's a lot of tools out there in this market. So that's why I'm trying to just help everybody narrow down the list, not not really go too crazy. The next thing is, does it do reporting? And if it does, how can you be alerted? Alerting sounds like a no-brainer when you're talking about this stuff, but it's not. And it's never as easy as it sounds like it should be, because there's all kinds of things that you have to think about. Um, how are you going to handle the switchover between admins? How are you going to handle, or people on call, I'm sorry, not admins, but how are you going to handle the, the handoff on, on call duty? How does the alerting work? What if the person that's being alerted doesn't respond? How does it handle that? Does it, does it go to another person? Does it escalate to a manager? What are your rules? It gets diverted to a hitman, and that person is snuffed out. And that person's snuffed out. That really does make it hard to find, uh, staff if you're going to start eliminating them based on on uh, whether or not they're answering their phone like the one that's ringing in the background right now that's kind of scary it is <laughs> i am not being paged or called so that's that's all good neither is jason um also how can you trigger the uh the alerts so if the system does do alerting is there a way for you to feed a custom alert in like let's say there isn't some there's something the monitoring tool doesn't do and uh can you do in some ways, some automated fashion, can you can you push that out? So next is what kind of dashboards are available out of the box? And uh, can you customize those easily? So not only is alerting and reporting important, but how customizable is the dashboards? The dashboards will be probably, there'll be somebody in your organization that really is passionate about dashboards. I'll just set it that way. The very passionate. Like the band, Dashboard Confessionals? Dashboard <laughs> Confessionals. Sure, yeah. I'm like trying to be band. more modern now. You blame me for a 70s know, cartoon. You did go for a 70s cartoon. Anyways, um, you know, the monitoring dashboards, everybody brags about them. Trying to figure out what you want to put on the dashboard is probably one of the toughest decisions that you're going to have to make. Because you want the right information up there, but you don't want too much information. Because if you put too much information, then you can't read it and you don't know what it's saying. If you don't put enough information up there, then it's pretty useless and nobody's, and people stop looking at it. I love my dashboards. I know. I'm not talking about the one in your car. No, I'm, I'm not either. I mean, I like to put things what I like to see, and then if I rotate around a lot of times. Yeah. You know, I have something up there for a while, and uh, certain information doesn't matter anymore, so I kick it off and replace it with something else. I like to have like four or five things. That's that's very cool. Um, dashboards also tend to be really important. In larger organizations, you tend to end up with a couple of different types of dashboards. You end up with like one for the operations center that just tells them something in the Unix area is red, and we should look into that, or something 
in the application area is red and we should look at that and decide who we should call if it's not already, if they're not responding, that kind of thing. So you're going to end up having to create multiples anyways. It's best to try to figure out what everybody wants um, when you can and try to make sure that it's your tool that you choose is going to make those dashboards easy to create. I have yet to see one tool that doesn't let you customize the dashboards. Some are just a lot easier than others. The next thing is how resource intensive is it on both the server, the network, and the clients being monitored? All right. Sounds like a simple question. Shouldn't be that much. Depends on how many people, you know, the whole, it depends thing that we've always oh, yeah. keep coming back to. It depends. It's a huge amount of it depends. Um, no vendor is avoiding or skirting your question if you ask them and they can't give you an answer because they really just don't know. Now they may know certain things. They may know network bandwidth and they'll say it'll be X amount of bandwidth per device monitored. So make sure you have enough bandwidth to handle that. <coughs> Sorry. If, uh, if you're looking for that type of information, they can give you general guidelines, but they can't be real specific. And that's where your proof of technology comes in. And that's probably one of the last questions that you're going to be able to answer because you're going to want to wait until you can see how it works and how it reacts. If you see it taking up too much resources, by all means, open up a ticket or ask an IRC channel or whatever you have to do for that monitoring tool to get help because somebody's probably seen it before and they can at least help you reduce it. Or they'll tell you, oh, yeah, that's a known issue when you're monitoring 100 things at a remote site and you're trying to pass it over a T1 connection. Yeah, you're going to run out of bandwidth because you're going to monitor stuff. Uh, this is generally less of a problem on internet systems and more of a problem on production web systems. But they can both be there. Um, one of the th things and a, and a quick story that I'll, I'll tell you about this. So when I first started doing system administration, and uh, we started deploying a much, much older HP OpenView's gotten smarter, so I'm not picking on it. But, you know, HP OpenView would let you do just about anything. And most of its monitoring at the beginning was focused on doing it via that SNMP protocol I was talking about before. One of my previous employers, like I said earlier in my career, we, uh, we literally monitored the network to death. We only had T1 connections or 1.5 megabit connections between machines. And monitoring data-wise, we were pulling one megabit of data. <clears throat> wow. <laughs> because we were monitoring everything. It was like, maybe we shouldn't monitor everything. And generally, the way to handle those issues of resources is to reduce the things that you monitor just to what you need. If you're not going to use the data, it doesn't do you much good to collect it, and it just takes up space and resources, and it takes time to process and to figure out what you need to do. So, um, in general, the problem that I have with most of these tools is the complexity it takes during the implementation phase. Even the simplest of them can be really, really difficult to think through and plan out properly. Um, once you get them set up, they pretty much run themselves. There isn't generally too much to do it. But it's that first initial phase of setting everything up that takes the longest time. And that includes deploying agents and agentless systems. So uh, definitely do a proof of technology and go out there and try those, try different tools out. Don't just settle on one. Don't just settle on the first one you see. Um, test out when you're testing them, test out their behavior, like force a mach machine to have a full disk. Uh, if it's a system that's advanced enough to do predictive warnings, 
create something that'll just generate a file for you really quickly and see if it predicts that it's going to fill the disk and will alert you like you think it should. Make sure you know how your tools are going to react when the actual failures happen. So shut, you know, kill web servers, randomly pull network cables, all the stuff that you would put a, at least be able to approximate from your production environment is what you should do from that. Like monitoring your performance tests if you want to see true CPU load stuff and how that looks, that kind of stuff. So I do have a few recommendations on this one, and I, I would like to say I only have one, but I don't. These are just the first ones. These are the ones that I see deployed most often. They are Nagios, which is one of the seed tools. It's one of the first ones that everybody deployed and has deployed um, for the most part. The second one is Xenos. It's another one. It's kind. Of, it used to be built on Nagios and just put a much better interface on it and much better tools. Uh, that tool is got both a commercial and a non-commercial one. There'll be links to all of these in the, the story version of this podcast, which is on monitoring tools. So if you go look for the story, all the links will be there. And then Xenos um, also has a commercial version. The commercial version just has a few more features. There is a link on the website, which will show you the, the full rundown of what that is. And then the last one I'm going to recommend is Groundwork Open Source, which is another one that used to be based on Nagios, but now has more and more of its own stuff. And it's just generally a good GUI for, for connecting that. Um, I'll be adding links to this in the um, coming months as I've actually got some demos of what these all look like. So I'm going to stand them up and then put videos out there on YouTube at some point here shortly, just so everybody can kind of see what they look like. Cool. So if you're not listening to this in June of 2014, there are probably already links out there. Probably. But that wraps it up for this week. And time to cut the grass. It is time to cut the grass. Don't forget to give us your feedback, folks. We really appreciate it. And uh, it's what keeps us going. We are DevOps Master on Twitter. The DevOpsMastery.com site is there for you anytime to send us feedback. You can click on the Contact Us link. You can email us at feedback at DevOpsMastery.com. Or go to good old Google Plus and comment there. Or Facebook. We're also on Facebook. DevOpsMastery.com on both of those. So, I think that does it for this week, Jay. I think so. Bye, everybody. Have a good night. Thanks again for listening to the DevOps Mastery Podcast. We really appreciate you taking a little bit of time out of your day to listen to what we have to say about DevOps. All of the content in this podcast is copywritten by Brian Wagner, his co-hosts and guests, and of course, DevOpsMastery.com. The music that you're hearing right now and we heard in the intro is copyrighted by Daryl Allen. And again, we look forward to hearing from you, so don't forget to send us some feedback at feedback at DevOpsMastery.com. Have a nice week, everybody.